given in great detail, name after name after name. And really what you're getting there is a record of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Starting at verse number 18, you get a record of the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus was far more than just a good man. He's far more than just part of that genealogy in the first 17 verses. He's the Son of God. And that's what you have recorded beginning at verse number 18. We find out how Jesus is not only man, but at the same time, he's 100% God. So Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I'd like to speak to you this morning on that phrase, thou shalt call his name. Thou shalt call his name. Our focus, after reading those verses, I'd like us to focus this morning really on verses 21 to 23 that gives us the two names of Jesus in this passage you may already be aware there are over 200 names of Christ throughout the Bible. Aren't you glad I don't have 200 points this morning? It's just two of them. <laughs> We're looking at these two names that we find here, Emmanuel and Jesus. Those names are important. In, in Bible days, names did not merely distinguish one person from another, but they revealed the very nature of the individual. In fact, the, the Greek word for name comes from the verb to know. So that if you knew a person's name, you really got to know something about them, about their character or about their personality. So to know the names of Christ will deepen your knowledge of the Savior. So if I were you, I'd familiarize yourself with all the names of Jesus throughout the Bible. The more you do that, the more I do that, the better off we're going to know Jesus. I saw a poster one time, you may have seen the same poster, and it, was a, it had taken uh, dozens and dozens of the names of Christ. I don't think all of them, but it took dozens of the names of Christ, and it wrote them out, but it did so in the shape of a cross. And it had Adonai and Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It had Christ and Alpha and Omega, Dayspring, Anchor, Judge, Bread of Life, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. The last two names at the bottom of the cross were Emmanuel and Jesus. It's those two names that I'd like to have our attention this morning. 
They're found in our verses here, verses 21 and verse 23. It's it's interesting, too, that both of the names in here, you get the definition of the name. The Holy Spirit gave us what they mean. You have there in verse number 21, And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That name Jesus, it means God will save. Because God is for us, he forgives us. Here is the mission or the purpose of Jesus. God will save. And then in verse number 23, it says, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Because God is with us, he forbears with us. Here is the message or the presence of Jesus. God has come. That's the greatest miracle of Christmas. That God would incarnate himself in a body just like yours. That's an amazing thought. This is the God who spoke and the worlds and the universe itself was created. And yet now he's a, he's a man. So the mission of the cross is hidden in the message of the cradle. What I'd like to do this morning is consider these two names. But if you don't mind, we'll do them in reverse order and look at that, first, or look at that second name first, Emmanuel. These are Jesus' names, by the way. Christ and Lord are his titles. Jesus and Emmanuel are his names. I'd like to look at that second name first. So the name Emmanuel there in uh, verse number 23, because God is with us, he forbears with us. It says in verse 22 again, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. The the details you know of Christ's birth were prophesied hundreds of years before. Maybe you recognize that as being Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Behold, a virgin, the Bible says, shall conceive. That was Isaiah talking hundreds of years before Christ uh, came to the earth. Mark that word behold because in the scripture, we don't use that in our everyday language today. I don't, you might. We don't use that word, but that word behold is used in the Bible to get your attention, to arrest your attention. What God was going to do was intended to be shocking and intended to be startling. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Well, virgin meant the same thing then as it does now. And this virgin was going to to conceive. Again, in our Bible study this morning, we talked about Mary and her worship of the Lord Jesus. When God looked for someone uh, to, to conceive his son, he had one specific virgin in mind, and her name was Mary, and she was from Nazareth. And she was specially chosen by God to be, to use the, the King James word, to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. The result would be that she would be with child and shall bring forth a son. There's the humanity of Christ. He had a human mom, Mary, this this young girl. But the next phrase shows his deity because it says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Can I just, uh, I like what Doc said this morning. 
He said, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know guys who wrote books. That's how I am. I don't do Greek and Hebrew, but I know guys who write books. That word Emmanuel is an interesting word. It, it breaks down to three words. The first two letters of the English word E-M is the word with in the Hebrew language. The second or, or the next three letters, A-N-U, the word us. And then the last two, E-L, maybe you're familiar with that. That's an Old Testament word for God. El Shaddai, Elohim, El Elyon. So literally, that word Emmanuel reads with us God. Do you like that? He is a with us God. He's not some distant deity. You know, the deists like Thomas Jefferson, they felt like God created the world and then hands off, let the world do whatever it's going to do. God's not like that at all. He is God with us. He is a with us God. He's the God who is near, the scripture says. If we draw nigh to him, he, draw, he draws nigh to us. He is God with us. That's quite a statement because when Adam and Eve entered the world, all of a sudden, walls and barriers started going up, didn't they? Adam and Eve ate a fruit, a fruit that was forbidden to them, and immediately the Garden of Eden was off limits, and a barrier went up, and an angel stood there to guard that barrier. Boundaries were established hundreds of years later, thousands of years later perhaps, uh, around the base of Mount Sinai. When God invited Moses to come up to the mountain, but he said, if Israel touches the base of this mountain, they're going to die. Don't touch this. There's a barrier there. He received while he was there the instruction, the beginnings of the law, and then uh, he got instruction regarding the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle was construction, uh, constructed, there was a wall built around that tabernacle. And then when you got to the tabernacle proper, there was a dividing veil between the, the holy place and the most holy place. Sin caused all of these barriers to come up. So that now when people wanted to worship God, instead of walking with God in the cool of the day like Adam and Eve were able to do, now only certain people were allowed to approach God on certain days with certain sacrifices and they had to offer them in a certain manner in order for them to be acceptable. All of these barriers started coming up. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. And all of a sudden, God is with us. Not just in spirit. He's with us in a human body. God came in the form of his son to dwell personally with his creation. Would you let the, the depth of that sentence sink in and be reminded of it? Sometimes as a Christian, I'll just be honest with you, I get used to that phrase. I get used to that sentence. God came in the form of his son to dwell personally with his creation. This hasn't been done since the Garden of Eden. And now it's restored. Jesus is here. There's a, there's a song, there, there's a lyrics of a song that was written in 2018. The song is a Christmas song called, What a Glorious Night. And part of it says this. Let the earth receive her king. I know that love has come. All were amazed when they heard how God came down on this glorious night. All were amazed when they heard how God came down on this glorious night. 
That's an amazing thing. John 1.14 says it like this. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God with us. He's Emmanuel. God came down. How many different ways can I say that to move you tonight or this morning to grasp the fact that God, God came down. The word dwelt among us, it says. Later, the apostles are going to write, he tabernacled with us. We, we touched him. We saw him. God with us. He's, he's Emmanuel. Some of you are going to celebrate this Christmas with an empty chair that wasn't empty last year. May I remind you that God is present with us. He never leaves. He, he never forsakes. Your celebration of Christmas may be a little more subdued this year than it was last year. God understands that. But don't forget that God is with you still. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. The mission of the cross hidden in the message of the cradle. First is Emmanuel, then let's go back, in, or that second is Emmanuel, let's go back and do the first thing. In verse number 21, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Because his name is Jesus, he is for us and he forgives us. In telling Zechariah, we, let a, we read a little bit of that in the first hour this morning, in telling Zechariah about the the birth of his son. Do you remember Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament? He's an old priest. She's an old priest's wife. Nobody should be building nurseries and, and putting up, you know, painting walls and, and putting together cradles in, in this household. They are beyond the age of childbearing. And then an angel comes to this priest named Zechariah and tells him that he's going to have a son. And this is how the angel, this is how the angel says this. Thy wife shall bear thee a son. You hear that? Thy wife shall bear thee a son. But when the angel comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, he doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't tell Joseph that Mary's going to bear him a son because it's not his son. This is a complete, same angel. Two very different messages. This is Jesus. Did you know that name Jesus appears over 600 times in the New Testament? That's a, that's a wonderful name. In fact, that 600 times is in the Gospels alone. You've heard this before, that the Greeks would, would pronounce it different than you and me. They wouldn't say Jesus, they would say Jesus. The Hebrews would call him Yeshua or Joshua. And that literally means that Jehovah saves. In naming the baby Jesus, God was saying that he would save people through this babe because the mission of Jesus is to save people from their sins. This is God's message to them. Joseph, your wife's going to have a son. She is with child. It's not your child. The Holy Spirit's responsible for this. When he is born... I want, you to say, I want you to name his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. 
He's not your son, Joshua. He's my son. That's why Jesus is later going to say in Mark chapter 10 that the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. It's his primary purpose for coming. The message of the cross is hidden in the manger. This is, this is what's going on. Later, Joseph and Mary, one of my favorite parts of scripture, later Joseph and Mary brings Jesus. He's eight days old. They bring him to the temple to do, the Bible says, after the custom. They bring him to the temple, and this old man comes up to him. Can you imagine this happening in our culture today? This old man, neither of them know, walks up and says, Can I hold your baby? And they just hand him over. And there's Simeon holding this baby, and he sees everything that that baby was to be. Don't you love that passage of scripture in Luke chapter 2 where Simeon starts, he's looking at the face of Jesus and all the people going around there think, oh, Mary and Joseph have a new little baby. Too bad they got pregnant before they were married. Simeon looks into the face of that little baby and all he sees is a light to lighten the Gentiles. He sees a sword that's going to pierce Mary's heart about 33 years later. He sees all of it. This this is Jesus. He's, He's come to save. Because we are sinners, we needed a Savior. To to sin means to miss the mark. And we've missed the mark of perfection. And perfection is what is required of you to get into heaven. It's required of me. And we all missed that mark. The Bible says in Romans 3... For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I, I don't remember. I should have bought this. I had mixed emotions about it. But I saw a mug one time and it had Santa on it. And it said, you're all naughty. And at the bottom of it said, Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's the truth. There's none righteous, no, not one. We needed a Savior. You know what God did? He sent his son, and he said, name his name Jesus. Every time someone, listen, every time someone says the name Jesus around the world, whether they're worshiping him or they're using his name as a curse word, they are proclaiming God will save. Every time they say his name. What a wonderful name that is. All we have to do to qualify for this salvation is to be a sinner. So one writer named Jared Wilson wrote, he said, we are born pre-qualified for God's salvation. We're all sinners. We need a savior. God sent one. Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. God will save. He will do it through this one named Jesus. The the point of Christmas is this. By way of the virgin birth, Jesus entered the world guiltless of the sin of Adam because Joseph wasn't his father. Since he was born of Mary, he is fully human. Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is fully God and free from the inherited sin nature that's been handed down to you and me all the way back to the sons of Adam. He is the son of Mary and the son of God. He is both the son and the savior. He is holy and he is human. He is fully God and fully man. He is God 
with us, and he is God for us. He forbears and he forgives. This is Jesus. God will save. Jesus came to die in our place as the full and final sacrifice for our sins. Emmanuel, God with us. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He faced the full fury of God the Father's wrath that I should have taken and that you should have taken. Jesus kept it. He took it on himself. The Bible says that for three hours, from, three, uh, from noon till three o'clock in the afternoon, for three hours it was dark as God poured his, he poured his wrath out on his son, tormented there on the cross. In exchange for all that, if we believe on Jesus Christ and are saved, we get his righteousness. He took our sin we get his righteousness, the great exchange. His substitutionary death reveals the Father's love and, satisf and it satisfies God's justice. It results in our salvation when we trust him, if we repent and trust the Lord. It, he, we are saved by this one who took our sins on himself. A wonderful gift. In fact, that's what it's called, isn't it? In Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's qualified to stand in our place, and he did. Why? Because he was born of a virgin. He was God with us. He is God will save. He was fully capable of paying for our sins and being this perfect sacrifice so that Paul would write to a carnal Christian church in the city of Corinth. Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He would write, for he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Jesus came down, God came down to lift us up, to reverse the curse of sin. We come into this Christmas season, there are people all over, all over the place singing the gospel through these old Christmas carols, Telling people who this was that was born. I, I listen to the radio and I hear very secular artists who have some very terrible songs singing about Jesus who was born to die. I'm like, are you at all listening? Unsaved people singing the song that Jeff sang today, Mary Did You Know? Unsaved people singing, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, Glory to the Newborn Capital K King. Unsaved people singing that. They won't stand, they won't stand guiltless when they stand before God. You sang about my son. You called him by name. You said, in your singing, God will save. All over the world, people are singing this, and they're missing it. I hope you're not. I hope that name Emmanuel means something to you, Christian. I hope the fact that God is with us means something. 
I hope the fact that God will save that name Jesus, I hope that's precious to you. I hope I never hear you use that in a swearing way. As your pastor, I'll rebuke you. I'll give you a heads up. If I hear you use the name Jesus like that as your pastor, I'll rebuke you. We don't get to do that. He got that name because he was given to us to save. You want to swear? Use some other name. Use your wife's name. Use your husband's name. How dare we use God's name or the name of the Son of God? That's a precious name. Why do you want to blaspheme his name? Blaspheme the name of someone that you know. Don't take the Lord's name. He's Jesus. He's Emmanuel. He came to take this world off of the road to destruction and put it on the road to eternal life. And most of them are going to reject him. That's tragic, isn't it? Jesus would say, many there be that enter at that wide, broad gate. Few there be that find that narrow gate. That's a tragedy. That the Son of God came and died for us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, God will save. In the manger, we see God is with us. And at Calvary, we see that God is for us. The Savior came to the world and he was turned away. It says there in John chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11, it tells us that he was in the world. The world knew him not. And, or he, he was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. Do you recognize the progression of that? He was in the world. He made the world. The world didn't know him. There's a logical progression that God is giving us. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Now you might excuse the first one, they didn't know him. But that second phrase, they received him not. That's an intentional rejection. That's what that means. They didn't receive him because they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him because they were unwilling to relinquish the control they had of their own lives and they loved their sin. Men love darkness rather than light. They do. We do. We need Jesus in us to change that passion. So I would ask you this morning, what is keeping you from receiving Jesus as your Savior? He is God with us. He's not just a good man, a good teacher, a Jewish rabbi. He's not just a magician who works some pretty cool magic tricks back in the day. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Jesus. God will save. What is keeping you from receiving him today? Christian, what would keep you from completely surrendering your life to him? What would keep you to stop habitually sinning, Christian, in light of the fact that this is Emmanuel and this is God with us. You have, you have, all you have to do is receive him. He, he came to his own and his own received him not. Salvation is something that we receive. It's not something we achieve. It's not something we, we earn or we attain to. It's something that we receive. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. It's, it's a reception that we make. 
there was a Scottish pastor, and he built this sermon. And I wish I could get a hold of the sermon. All I got was the summary. This pastor preached a sermon, and he used four words to describe Jesus. The words are glorious. He said this. These were his four points. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is great. Jesus is good. And Jesus is gracious. That's all I got. I don't have any of the rest of his sermon. I'd love to have heard that because he is all of those things. He is glorious because he's God. He's great because he's the king of kings. He's good because he gave his life for mine. He is gracious because he offers me and he offers you eternal life. And he didn't have to. This is Jesus. Here's the closing thought. In fact, Doc mentioned this this morning, but it was already in my PowerPoint, Doc, so I just didn't add it after Sunday school today. Jesus had to be Emmanuel to be Savior, and once he becomes your Savior, he becomes your Emmanuel. I hope he's your Savior this morning. I really do. I hope you're not going through the motions. I hope this isn't something that that you're, you're putting on or maybe you're not sure about. Maybe you're not intentionally putting it on. Maybe you're just not sure if you're saved. I hope you know it. We say this at the end of every year. Jesus may come next year. But the truth is there's still a number of days left in this year and he could come this year. And there are a number of hours left in this day and he could come today. And there are a number of seconds left in this minute, and he could come before I finish this thought. You see what I'm saying? This isn't something to play with. It's not something to wonder about. Except Jesus Christ. The mission of the cross is hidden in the message of the cradle. This is truth. Are, are you ready for him? I pray he comes soon. But I would hate to think that you're not ready this morning. Christian, I would hate to think that you would be found living in a patterned life of sin. And when Jesus comes, you're a Christian. You're going to heaven. You're going to get there at the same time everybody else does. But you're going to go ashamed. There's a measure of shame to being in heaven until the judgment seat of Christ is finished. You know, the, the tears aren't wiped away until after the judgment seat of Christ. Keep this in mind, Christian, when you're choosing how you live your life today. When you measure the degree of surrender. Well, I'll do this or I won't do that, but I'm not going to do this and I am going to do that. Don't measure it like that. Just full on, unconditionally surrender to Jesus Christ. Your body, my body, a living sacrifice. That's what he calls for Christians. For the unsaved, he calls you to come to his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So what does Jesus say? In fact, may I, may I remind you of the last recorded words of what Jesus said. He's the beloved son in whom God the Father is well pleased. We are to hear him. What does he say? The spirit and the bride say, come, let him that heareth say, come, let him that is a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. He says, come. Come unto me, all ye who labor. 
This is the call of Christmas. Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't born so that you and I could have a pleasant time with our family, but I hope you do. He didn't come so you could have a good Christmas meal tomorrow, but I hope you do. He came to save. And once he saved, he came to sanctify us and make us more progressively, make us more and more like him and less and less like our old self. And if you'll let him do that, you will have an abundant life that he promised back in John chapter number 10. But you've got to surrender. God's, God's not going to cram that, that, that process of sanctification down your throat. He is not going to, he is not going to uh, grab your mind and make you do this or make you do that. You have to surrender. This is why Paul wrote Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm begging you, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. If you don't, you'll never know victory. If you don't, you'll never know God's full blessing. If you don't, you'll never know the peace he promises in time of storm. So if you will present your body, Christian, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, this is just your reasonable service. Do you know what will happen? You'll prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is that will of God? To make you more and more and more and ultimately completely like Jesus Christ. But you've got to present your bodies to him. You've got to come to him. Lost here today, unsaved, wondering if you're saved, come to Jesus and, and let him save you. Let someone take the Bible this morning and show you how to be saved. Christian struggling with a habitual sin, holding back in your surrender to God, come today and present your body a living sacrifice to God. Reasonable service. That just, that just makes sense. Give yourself to the one who gave himself for you. Does that make sense? These two names of Jesus call us to do both of those things. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus, God will save. Would you stand please with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning? I, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to consider what's been said here this morning from the word of God. And then what impact that should have on your life. Do you need to be saved this morning? Come, let someone show you from Scripture how to do that. Christian, are there sins you need to confess to God and find Him faithful and just to forgive you of those sins? You need to come today and do that. Father, this is your word and it's your church and these are your people. And Lord, there may be some in here today that aren't your people. They're not saved. And, and I pray that they would come today and be saved. This is far more than just a sentimental holiday we're celebrating. Lord, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus came to this world to seek and to save people who are bound for hell if they don't get saved. And so I pray for every person in here today that your word, through the working of your Holy Spirit, would respond to what you'd have them to do. If they need to be saved, let them come. Give them, give them a boldness to come and ask how to be saved today. Give the Christian courage to step out and come and repent of their sin and make things right with you like they should. Whatever your work is, God, do that in us. You have a lot to work to do in us still to make us like Jesus. Help us to be cooperating with you in that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you hold your head?